Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I want to start out today's program. And you know, the last couple of programs, I have asked a question or posed a question to the body of believers. Today, I want to start out with a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And so, since God in his mercy has given us this wonderful ministry, we never give up. We reject all shameful and underhanded methods. We do not trick anyone, and we do not distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know that. The only reason I start that out today, and we're going to finish that up as we take a look at the book at the end of the program, Rick, is I want people to understand that discouragement is going to come during this period of time. We are encouraging you to understand where we are in the times in which we're living. And Rick, today as we begin our program, there's so much to cover. We've got Ken Timmerman coming. He'll be updating us on geopolitical views. We've got David Dolan giving us the Middle East news update. What's happening in Israel? Bob McGinnis, Colonel Bob McGinnis will be back on the program today and he's got a new book about China. We'll have him on the program and lots of folks love listening to his analysis of what's taking place militarily in the world. And then, of course, Winky Madad, our good friend, the former mayor of Shiloh, will join us on the program today talking about the political situation and upcoming elections in Israel. But let's get started, Rick. We've got a lot to cover with Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us today to discuss current events from a geopolitical perspective. Ken's an author and an analyst, and you can find out more about him by going to Ken timmerman.com. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Rick, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, we've got a few stories to get to today, and then I want to finish by talking about an article you wrote that we're going to post up on our website, but we'll start right now with the chaos that is taking place in Great Britain. Could you talk a little bit about that and and what's the situation there? Sure. Uh, Well, Liz Truss uh, is going to go down in history as the shortest term prime minister ever Hmm. in Great Britain. She's lasted just 46 days. And, uh, you know, that's uh, less Boris Boris Johnson, who was in trouble at the end, was in power over a thousand days. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, A little under three years. She lasted 44 days, 46. She resigned after 44 days. And uh, her her economic policies of tax cuts, which uh, many of us conservatives would have thought would be positive policies, good policies. She hadn't thought them through. She did not figure out how to finance it. Uh, she crashed the British pound. She responded by firing her chancellor of Exchequer, the finance minister, bringing in Jeremy Hunt, who then walked it all back. Well, that didn't go over so well uh, with her own conservative party. So she's out. And now, once again, uh, Britain is looking for a new prime minister. There's even talk of bringing back Boris Johnson. Very interesting. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Whoever the next prime minister is, though, they're going to have to deal with the situation that's taking place in Russia right now, and it continues to escalate. We talk about it every week. And there's been some changes this week with uh, Vladimir Putin enacting martial law in Russia and Ukraine. Well, 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 guess what? Uh, He's got problems gaining control over his own people and over his occupied people in those uh, uh, eastern provinces of Ukraine that he has annexed or claimed that he has annexed. This is a big deal, Rick. It's a big deal. And it shows that Putin is finally waking up. 
to the situation on the ground, uh, to the incredible problems that, that he is facing and and the disaster that he has led Russia into in, in, in Ukraine. Uh, you know, I, I, I've heard it said that um, the problem that the Russian military is hap- having right now is that the reporting from the very bottom up is all bad. So the mm. commanders on the ground will say, oh, yes, my unit is 100 percent battle ready. That gets reported up to the next level, the next level, the next level. And the result is Putin winning the war. Well, now Putin is starting to realize that the first commander who said his unit was 100 percent battle ready, it was actually only 5 percent battle ready <laughs> and and 35 percent deserter rate uh, and, and mm. no equipment in in uh, battle ready condition. And he's it looks like he's starting to wake up to this. Uh, Putin is in trouble. Putin is in big trouble. And I think this declaration of martial law is a clear indication of it. Well, very interesting there. We'll have to continue to keep an eye on that, especially as it relates to the relationship between Russia and Iran. But for my last question, I'd like to continue to talk about Iran here. And as I mentioned earlier, you have an article in Front Page Mag talking about the 39th anniversary of the bombing of the barracks in Beirut and the role that Iran played in that. I would like to talk about that article, but before I do, can you just give us an update on the situation with the protest in Iran right now? The thing that's going to happen this Sunday uh, is that there will be a massive demonstration in Berlin, in Germany, estimates of somewhere between 50 and 100,000 uh, Iranians from the diaspora to come and join, lend their voices to the protesters inside Iran, mm. chant death to the dictator. They're calling on European governments to delegitimize the Iranian regime, to throw out Iranian diplomats. I doubt that's going to happen, but it is extremely important to see this taking place on the streets with so many people coming together. The diaspora in Iran has been very uh, divided uh, for many, many years. We're seeing it come together in an important way. And by the way, these these protests in Iran are extraordinary. Uh, the young people, they're called Generation Z for Zoomers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been brought up on Zoom. Uh, and <laughs> And it's been a bit of a communications revolution where they have been able to use modern communications, despite Iranian government censorship, to communicate amongst themselves and to get video out to the West, go beyond that cyber great wall that the Iranian regime has tried to set up. Uh, to get their voices out and get the video of these protests out. This is a true revolution. The regime is not about to topple. Uh, I said in a, a webinar I did this week with the Jewish Policy Center that there are a couple of signs we have to look at uh, before we see the regime actually leaving. Uh, one is that they bring in all of the ethnic groups. They protest in ethnic areas in Iran, but they have not yet gotten a buy-in from those Kurdish and Baluchi and Azeri organizations. The second thing we need to look for is the revolutionary guards and the repressive troops in Iran uh, uh, stopping to shoot at fellow Iranians. Hmm. This this is what happened in the 1978-1979 revolution against the Shah. We haven't yet seen this in any significant way today. I think it is coming. When those troops refuse to shoot on fellow Iranians, the, the regime's days will be numbered. Now, uh, I wrote about Mohsen Rezai, a very important uh, story here. He was the 
commander of the Revolutionary Guards when Iranian terrorists blew up the Marine barracks in Beirut 39 years ago. Today, he is uh, now a vice president of the regime of Raisi. He's vice mm. president for economic affairs. He is under an Interpol red notice for his involvement in the terrorist attack in, in Buenos Aires in 1994 that killed 85 uh, Jews at Amia Jewish Center. And yet he continues to travel around. Those red notices are supposed to prevent that. In January, he flew in a Iranian government Falcon jet to Managua, Nicaragua, to take part in the investiture of Daniel Ortega as president of Nicaragua. And just this week, he went to Qatar to attend an economic conference. They're supposed to detain him under this red notice and then turn him over to the country that issued, in this case, uh, Argentina, so he can be prosecuted. Nope. Uh, Qatar and Nicaragua, they're very, very happy to have this international outlaw. This man is a killer, and the regime is happy to bring killers like him into uh, the regime itself. They also have another person involved in, um, uh, in, in with, with a red notice uh, out against him, Ahmad Vahidi, a former head of the Quds Force. I write this in the front page mag article. Uh, he is now their interior minister. That means he is in charge of putting down the protests in the street. I think it's time that people woke up, that the Biden administration woke up and understood that this is a criminal regime. It is an outlaw regime in Tehran. It is an illegal regime in Tehran that does not represent the American people. And they certainly ought to stop all negotiations with them over their nuclear program. Yes, as you were talking about that, that's the, the the one thing that I could think of is that this is all being done against the backdrop of, it seems like, appeasement and us trying to get uh, maybe this deal restarted, almost like it's a, it's a political win that this administration needs. But we don't need to be negotiating with these types of terrorists, do we? It sends exactly the wrong message to the people of Iran. And it reminds me of what the Iranian leaders said about Obama when he stayed silent in 2009 uh, after weeks of protests in the street, millions of people protesting at that time about the stolen elections. And they made a play, play on words on his name. They said Obama in Persian, it means Obamast, means he's with us. So they mm. said, Obama, he's with us. He, he's not con condemning us. He's not supporting the protesters. Well, exactly the same thing today with Biden. Every time he talks about a possible negotiation with the regime, the regime turns around and basically thumbs their noses at the people in the streets and say, you see, the Americans, they think that we are the legitimate government. That's what we have got to stop. We have got to stop legitimizing this regime. Well, I certainly agree with you, and I think it makes complete and total sense. Uh, it's something that we need to be aware of, and we need to uh, be aware of what's going on in Iran, and we need to be aware about how our politicians, about how our government uh, is reacting to the situation there. Well, Ken, thank you so much for keeping us updated. And again, so we can see this article at Front Page Mag. Or if we go to your website, KenTimmerman.com, we could learn more about you and about the book that this, is, this article is an excerpt from. Thanks so much, Ken. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Rick, and God bless. Great interview with Ken Timmerman, Rick. Thanks so much. You know, just an afterthought, when there's political unrest, sometimes these world dictators will invade other countries, which is talked about in Bible prophecy. 
But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan and our Middle East News Update, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Ukraine's power grid struggles following continued Russian airstrikes. As much as 40 percent of the national system has been severely damaged, and Ukraine's energy minister is asking people to limit their electricity use. Transworld radio team in Kyiv is determined to stay put, even though Russian missiles struck a power plant near the team leader's home. Radio is a critical resource in wartime. Pray DWR's broadcast will point people to the hope of Christ. And it's been three months since flash flooding surged through eastern Kentucky, but the death toll's still going up. Meanwhile, families still feel the flood's impact. Carrie Ash, the state director of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Kentucky, says they know of local kids who are afraid every time it rains now. The ministry's distributing their booklet. Do you wonder why? To help kids process this natural disaster in light of scripture. Pray for Christ's peace and find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with my brother Rick. We examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Great uh, interview with Ken Timmerman updating us on world events, geopolitical events that are taking place in the world. And, you know, we do that so that, again, we understand the times in which we're living, Rick. And each week we look at the Jewish people. We understand from Daniel chapter 9 that God is not finished. Well, all the promises, really, when you look at the four covenants that God made with the Jewish people, he's not finished with them. And so each week, Rick, we analyze what's taking place in the land of Israel with the Jewish people, don't we? We sure do. And I mean, if you look at it, and the greatest example of Bible prophecy being fulfilled in our lifetimes is, well, in, in, in modern times anyways, is the creation of the Jewish state and the fulfillment of the people coming back into the land. And so that's why we focus so much on Israel. Uh, we're so grateful to have so many great partners that join with us in reporting from Israel and on Israel. And one of our favorites, and we talk to him just about every week, is Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, the uh, issue that we dealt with last week, and I'd just like to get an update on it because I think it's still a pertinent issue, is violence in the area that we call Judea and Samaria, the mainstream media may call the West Bank. Can you give us an update on, on, on that situation and what's going on there? Yes, Rick, there's been more action this week, and probably the most important was the 
apprehension and killing of the terrorists that a week before, we spoke of this last week, killed an 18-year-old female Israeli soldier. He uh, launched another attack on Tuesday against Jewish town just outside of Jerusalem, Ma'alei Adumim, and shot at the guards who were at the entrance to the area. And uh, they immediately shot back and killed him. And the police had been searching for him and the army had been searching for him in the interim. So that was good news for Israel. But as a result, we had stepped up Palestinian violence, uh, riots, some more riots, some more attacks in various areas. And on Thursday, they declared a general strike. So Arab shops and stores closed throughout the area, not just in Judea and Samaria, but in Jerusalem and in Gaza. There were clashes between Israeli settlers and Palestinians in various locations during the week. An Israeli soldier was arrested for participating in a in a demonstration against the IDF in one area, and that's I could take all of our time just talking about that. But uh, just to say that the unrest continues, the police are on alert still, and uh, so far Jerusalem has remained relatively calm compared to last week. But um, nothing is over until it's over. And of course, it's election season with the Israeli elections in just 10 days on November 1st. So that's always a period of heightened tension, as well as the Jewish holidays. Well, as typical in Israel, there are many factors in play. Um, You mentioned the elections coming up. Another one is UN experts are pushing for the International Court of Justice in The Hague to declare the Israeli occupation illegal. Now, this is the area uh, when they say the Israeli occupation, they're talking about pre-1967 lines. This is the area that we're talking about when we talk about Judea and Samaria. So very interesting. This is kind of putting pressure on Israel, isn't it? Well, it is. And the Palestinian Authority has been calling for this for some years, Rick, that this whole issue should be taken to the UN's Court of Justice at The Hague and they should give a ruling on it, et cetera. Well, Israel doesn't recognize the UN's court's jurisdiction over Israel. The U.S. is the same, so and many countries don't. So it would be more symbolic than anything else. But we already know the outcome. The U.N., overwhelmingly, most of the nation states uh, believe that Israel's taking Judea and Samaria, its biblical heartland, in 1967 was illegal, even though, as you know, and most of our listeners probably too, that uh, the war was started by the Arab side, by Nasser of Egypt, in alignment with Syria and Iraq and others, backed by the Soviet Union. They launched the war in it. Israel captured those territories. And now, of course, uh, around a million Israeli Jews live uh, throughout those areas, if you include, as they do, the Arabs do, East Jerusalem, the neighborhoods of East Jerusalem that Israel captured in the Six-Day War. So, uh, you know, the ruling would be a foregone conclusion. They would call for Israel to withdraw from these areas. Uh, That's what uh, most uh, Democratic Party administrations in America have been calling for for years, decades. So there's really nothing new there. Israel's not too worried about it, Rick, because, again, they really don't recognize this international court's jurisdiction over them and believe that they don't really have an accurate view of the history of the conflict, and therefore whatever ruling they would make is pretty much a foregone conclusion. Well, that is true, and we've talked about it many times on this program. The UN is 
not necessarily a friend to Israel. Um, and so the, you take this ruling with a grain of salt for sure. Well, well, we can certainly appreciate Israel's position there. They certainly do seem to be straddling the fence because they have many sides to look at there. Well, my final question, David, and this is more of an opinion piece for you. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu running to be prime minister yet again has released a book. And in that book, he's had some very interesting things to say. And one of them was about President Obama and his position on Israel. And he said he did not have just bad policy, but almost malice towards Israel. Yes, the book came out Friday in Hebrew in Israel and is coming out next week in English in the United States and elsewhere. And uh, the section about Obama was eye-popping, Rick. That's all I can say. He met him first when Obama had just been elected senator from Illinois in 2007. He noticed right away that they were clashing. He wrote later that he felt it was because Obama's worldview was, uh, as a black American, was um, anti-colonialism. He saw Israel as a colonial usurper in some ways in the Middle East, as the Palestinians do, as left-wing parties around the world basically do. Uh, But he wrote that he thought he could work with him anyway if he did become president because he was already being touted as uh, the next Democratic Party nominee. But more than that, the next meeting he had at the White House after Obama had been elected, he wrote that Obama lectured him strongly about the conflict and we need a two-state solution and all these sorts of things. Bibi explained back why he didn't see that as feasible at this time and that Israel's very existence was on the line. They were more worried about Iran and its nuclear program, which, of course, he opposed. He wrote about that in the book. But he said that Obama told him, hey, I'm a tough guy. I'm from Chicago, and I know how to deal with tough guys. And as he was doing that, Netanyahu wrote that he made some threatening moves against Netanyahu, but he didn't write what it was. But an earlier book by an Israeli journalist already had revealed that he put his finger under his throat at the cutting gesture as he said that statement. In other words, we'll lob off your head. This was to the prime minister of Israel. Well, later he wrote that Obama at another meeting was lecturing him strongly again and giving him assignments that he needed to do these gestures and that gestures uh, for the Palestinians and, and all sorts of things. And basically, he said, treating us like we were employees of his company or students in his class is what Netanyahu wrote. So once again, we have the Biden administration, which is a continuation in many ways of the Obama administration, many of the same people in it. Although in the book, he wrote about Biden fairly favorably, but of course he is the current president, so that makes some sense. But he said he was more moderate. He said Biden told him privately, look, if you have any problems with others in the, in the administration, just come to me and I'll see if I can sort things out. And he said Biden seemed to have a greater understanding of the history of the conflict and of where Netanyahu was coming from. But of course, if he becomes prime minister again, Uh, We'll see (laughs) what the relations are going to be like, but some eye-popping things, and um, it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. But uh, anti-colonist glasses is what he said Obama was wearing all the time, saw the whole conflict through that lens. And uh, Bibi said that's not the way, it's not the facts on the ground. And also with Iran pushing for this Iranian deal, which, of course, Biden has been pushing to reenact it. 
although that seems to be dead now with the supply of these Iranian weapons to Ukraine and with the uh, rioting going on inside Iran, it seems to have become a non-issue at the present time, but it could resurface again. Well, that's a very interesting article and very interesting opinion from you, because like you said, this Biden administration is almost an extension of that Obama administration in many ways, many of the same people. And I, I would have to assume some of the same attitudes towards Israel and essentially towards what may be the next prime minister and, and was the previous prime minister and now again will be prime minister again, Benjamin Netanyahu. So that's a, a very interesting article. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Well, David, we appreciate your analysis and your keeping us informed of the news that is taking place there in Israel. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm very happy to do it, as you know, Rick. God bless. And thank you, David, for doing a great job reporting always a great analysis of what's taking place in Israel. Who will be the next prime minister in the land of Israel? We've got to take a break. And when I come back, Winky Madad continuing our conversation on Israel, what's taking place, and Colonel Bob McGinnis with a new book on China right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This next half hour, we have Winky Madad, or Israel Madad, from Shiloh. And of course, Colonel Bob McGinnis will be coming up with his new book on China. Let's get right to Winky Madad, Rick. Winky Madad joins us today. He is our frequent guest. He is the former mayor of Shiloh and an Israeli pundit who's uh, very in tune with all things on the ground there in Israel politically and spiritually. Thank you so much, Winky, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure and a privilege. <laughs> oh, well, great. Well, Winky, I have been following the news out of Israel. I know you're on the ground there and what the media may call the West Bank uh, there in Shiloh, but we call Judea and Samaria. And, and there has definitely been some things taking place there that maybe an escalation in violence. Could you give us an actual report there from uh, on the ground in Israel? Well, there has obviously, from uh, my readings and watching all the video clips and uh, checking sources, there's been a relatively large uptick in the amount of what we call here popular violence, which means stone throwing and, and that level of violence on some of the uh, roads in, here in Judea and Samaria. There is one place particularly which is getting into the news in Arabic, it's called Harawa, and it's uh, just south of Shechem, of, of Nablus. 
and a bypass road has not been finished. And so, as you can imagine, the increased Jewish population of the area still has to go through a large Arab village, shall we call it, not quite a city, but a large Arab village, down the main street, uh, where all the stores are, where the garages are, supermarkets and stuff like that. And it's very crowded, and they've been taking pot shots with uh, with rocks and stuff like that. And it's it's every single day, anywhere between half a dozen to a dozen and a half incidents where people have their windows smashed and young children hurt by glass or by the rocks coming in. And it's going to get out of hand. It's not a good situation, so I call it that way. In addition to that, we've had uh, I'll just mention one more thing for the for the listening audience. We've had, it seems, a uh, split-off group from the main Fatah and Islamic Jihad groups. Uh, they're calling themselves, I think, from the Lion's Den. A little bit dramatic there, maybe even a little bit biblical. But they've been using live fire uh, shooting at Jews, at IDF. They've killed people, they've injured people, and of course, uh, the IDF is responding and in fact, just this past week, one of their members, it seems, uh, tried to attack the entrance of Ma'ale Adumim, just east of Jerusalem, at the entrance. And he was, show, the, the, the new term here, Rick, is neutralized. I don't know if it's gone over to the United States here. I used to call it eliminated, but I guess, you know, you have to talk a little bit wokish nowadays, so you don't harm people or give them any sort of shivers up and down their spines about taking out a terrorist. So yes, it's low level. It's not mass, but it's quite more than annoying, shall I put it that way. And it's not good because you always ask me for the background. Mahmoud Abbas is somewhere in the neighborhood of 88. So there's going to be a war of, you know, of inheritance or whatever you want to call it soon. And so there's a lot of juggling going on. I think that's also in the background of this. Well, we appreciate you painting the picture for us there of what's taking place and just want our listeners to understand how serious this situation could be. And you're showing us that reality on the ground. Of course, all of this is taking place against the backdrop of the elections that are going to take place in early November. And to that effect, I'd like to get your comments, Winky. The current prime minister uh, and one who is uh, attempting to become uh, the prime minister again, Yair Lapid, has made some interesting statements. We know he already, and we've talked about this before, kind of reaffirmed his commitment to a two-state solution between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And, and recently he did an interview where he embraced the Muslim terminology, uh, calling the Temple Mount Alaska instead of the Temple Mount there, and and basically saying that he does not want to change the status quo and, and, and is essentially not in favor of Jewish people going up onto the Temple Mount. Is that correct? That is mostly correct. Um, look, there's a lot of politics and history in running Israel. In any case, you need a little bit of intelligence. In addition to intelligence, which is, I call, your natural intelligence, you need a little bit of education. Uh, You and I do that. We we educate our our audience all the time by giving them background, context, facts, and references. Mr. Lapid never graduated uh, college, uh, and I don't even know if he went to college. 
Uh, he was a journalist in the IDF uh, Army magazine. In a country, as you know well, that everybody is either an officer or an outstanding, uh, you know, uh, frontline soldier, basically. That's not exactly true, but everybody claims that. You know, that's a, a bit of a poor background. And one of the things that had been hurled at Mr. Lapid is that he's hollow. In other words, he, he smiles, he puts the words together, but there's nothing really there. Mm-hmm. And that's the case with, uh, with many mistakes he's been making in the past few months. And like you say, El-Aqsa, like there's, there's nothing wrong with saying El-Aqsa, technically speaking, if you're only talking about the Alaska Max. But if you're talking about the Temple Mount and the Harama Sharif, as you said, you're adopting the language of the enemy. That you don't have to do with the issue that you ask me on the, on, the, on, the, on the two-state solution. Everybody knows it's in the background. Mr. Biden talks about it. Israel for the past, I don't know, five, six, seven years has not talked about it. <laughs> right? We avoid it like the plague. And so uh, he walks in and he gets into uh, to the United Nations and makes a big grand you know, staging up of the issue, which which has no validity for Israel, and it's not really anywhere. But so he's making a pitch. As you said, it's election time. Everybody puts forth his best foot ideologically, politically, economically, whatever else is going on here. And in another week and a half or so, we'll more or less know whether Mr. Lapid can form a government when the polls have been consistently giving him way below 61, which means that he'll need the Arabs. And the Arabs in the last Knesset were shown to be not the best friends of Israel. And uh, I don't want to say this on the air, uh, Rick, but I guess I'll have to. We might be going to elections again if Mr. Netanyahu's bloc doesn't pull out of the hat the full 61 without anybody else being required to support him. Whether or not he attaches another party or another few members of Knesset that break away from another party, we did a discussion about a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago, the possibility of it, and it happened during the last Knesset. That's what happened. But that's the outlook. It, 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 without even going into the politics of it, my last word on the subject is that it's it's painful to see Mr. Lapid. I'll give you a sh- you and the listeners another short example. Uh, this past week, two security personnel outside of Male Adumim, as I mentioned in the earlier part of the of my segment, right, neutralized an Arab terrorist. Mr. Lapid obviously did a cut and paste from a previous post and said, I, I applaud and congratulate the, the, the IDF, the General Security Services, and everybody else involved in the, in, the, in the mission, right? No one but two security guys were involved in the mission. <laughs> That's because the terrorists attacked them. They didn't chase him. They didn't find him. He found them. But that was Lapid's announcement. You know, it's, it, if, he's not as old as Biden, but he's doing some of the same type of, you know, off-the-cuff, miscues, which doesn't give a lot of, too many people a lot of confidence in his abilities. Well, Winky, I did see that you tweeted about that on your Twitter handle, which is 
at Y Madad. That's Y M E D A D. It's a great follow if you're on Twitter and would like to learn more about that. Well, it sounds like you certainly are in the middle of election season, as are we here in the States as well. And uh, some would say they may be a little interrelated or they do have uh, certain areas where they collide. Well, thank you so much for your analysis. Stay safe there in Judea and Samaria. And I am sure before the elections take place and after the elections, we'll be talking to you again, Winky. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Rick, you know, I think it's always important and longtime listeners of this program will know why we focus on the Jewish people. On a weekly basis, we have David Dolan, Israel Madad come give us the political breakdown, the security breakdown, what's happening within the country, uh, why it's happening, the surrounding nations. And one day, we do know that they will come against Israel. Uh, the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38. And uh, so we keep an eye on those things on a weekly basis. Well, we're going to another part of the world. Colonel Bob McGinnis, a longtime friend of ours, has a new book out. It's on China, the kings out of the east. Let's see what Colonel McGinnis has to say about the situation with Russia and China and what's happening around the world. Colonel Bob McGinnis joins us today. He's a, a regular guest on the program, somebody we're always appreciative to have on. We have him on the program today to talk about a new book that he's got out called Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. Colonel, thank you for being on the program today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to talk about China, but before I do that, last week we had a story, and I know you're pretty up-to-date on this. Last week we had a story about the nuclear threat coming out of Russia. I just wanted to get your thoughts about that situation there, and what level of concern should our listeners have? Well, it depends upon how desperate Vladimir Putin becomes. Mm -hmm. I, I know that you know, he has already you know, started to ignore his chief advisors and really has pulled back into his inner circle you know, making plans and policies going forward. Arguably, his ministers and many of his people are fearful. You know, he is truly an autocratic leader, but you know, I don't think uh, this is a surprise to your listeners. You know, to Putin, what he has done in Ukraine has become an all-or-nothing uh, proposition. Uh, and so when he went on the air to speak to the Russian people about not only mobilization of 300 additional soldiers to use as cannon fodder in the war that he created with Ukraine. But we had a response from the White House here, from Mr. Biden, who basically said we're facing an Armageddon-like scenario with Russia, perhaps. And, of course, that's a reference to the last battle between good and evil before the Day of Judgment in the New Testament. So, how credible is that? Well, Mr. Putin has the largest inventory of nuclear weapons in the world, you know, arguably something in the neighborhood of 6,800. Mm. Uh, only about 15 to 1,600 are deployable at this point, but you know, it would only take a, a, the popping of a couple of those in eastern Ukraine against Ukrainian forces to send a very clear message. Now, I think what Mr. Biden was making reference to is if, if in fact, this were done, that the Russians reverted to using nuclear weapons, uh, that something would happen. Uh, it would perhaps uh, proliferate. 
Now, we did see from Jan Stoltenberg, who is, of course, you know, the NATO chief, North Atlantic Treaty Organization chief, who's, who said, you know, if Putin uses nuclear weapons in Ukraine, quote, it will mean that the, a very important line has been crossed and that there would be serious consequences. Uh, Joseph Borrell, who is the EU's foreign policy chief, said much the same. He said, essentially, uh, that he's not bluffing Mr. Putin and that this would result in the annihilation of the Russian army. Uh, those are strong words from three different uh, you know, leaders uh, in the West against what Putin is uh, threatening here. Uh, now, given that Mr. Putin has already annexed four uh, oblasts or four provinces in eastern Ukraine, and the fact that the Ukrainians are taking back, especially in the south, the Kherson Oblast, you know, it would appear as if uh, things are getting rather desperate. Now, we, of course, have seen in the last few days a phalanx of uh, Iranian-provided drones that are suicide drones hitting civilian targets all over uh, Ukraine, to include in Kyiv. Uh, and then, of course, you've seen ballistic missiles and the like. Uh, the question is, uh, will this help uh, what Putin is doing. Uh, I suspect it will not, uh, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to uh, you know, shorten the war either. Um, the U.S. and the West is committed to continuing to provide sophisticated weapons to Ukrainians. Ukrainians are resilient people, and they will continue to fight back against the Russians. So uh, we could be in for a, a protracted war for some time as yet. Now, it may settle down to you know, the East being occupied by Russians and the West uh, just returning to some type of normality. But uh, given you know, what the Europeans are doing as they shiver because of the cutoff of Russian natural mm -hmm. gas and whether the Russians are going to settle for you know, just what they've peeled off thus far, uh, that's all up in the air. Well, you touched on it a little bit there, and I'd just like to ask you what may be a bit of a loaded question, but the, the leadership of the Biden administration and then NATO, how confident are you as a military analyst of our ability to handle the situation there with Russia and Ukraine? Well, I, I think it, we should have circumvented this war uh, a year ago, uh, mm. and I do believe, uh, sincerely, we could have, but you know, because of bad foreign policy decisions, uh, on certainly our part as well as on NATO's part, uh, this unfortunately didn't happen. I, I wrote a year ago in Fox News that uh, there was a better than 50-50 chance of a war in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, I was correct. Um, and then subsequently, I pointed out some of the, the threats, whether it was a chemical, biological, or nuclear threat, which continues to be the case, and I think as Putin becomes more desperate, that will happen. Uh, I do believe that the Biden administration had uh, plenty of chances to uh, not only uh, arm up the Ukrainians much faster than we did, we waited basically to the sound of the Russian tanks uh, roaring across their international boundary in Ukraine before we got desperately serious about coming to their aid. And that's the case with a lot of Europeans. But since that time, of course, we've poured in 
you know, tr- many billions of dollars worth of arms. And, you know, unquestionably, those arms have made a significant difference uh, in the outcome as to where we are today. You know, whether it's our javelins, our stingers, our HIMARS, uh, or many of the other weapons platforms that we've provided the Ukrainians, uh, those have been decisive against Russian equipment, which is less, you know, isn't nearly up to pace as to our weaponry, and uh, that has really empowered the Ukrainians. So, you know, this is all up in the air, and it will be for some time. Certainly Europe is destabilized. Uh, But at the same time, I don't think that uh, this crisis is necessarily going to directly involve NATO at this point. Now, it could. Um, You know, Putin is desperate. His ultimatums are are very clear. Um, and, And it's always possible that the oligarchs and the Russian people will say enough's enough and then topple this guy uh, almost in a coup-like situation. Uh, and then whether or not the Russian Federation survives uh, survives that you know, outcome, that's to be determined. But you know, Putin's uh, level of respect across the world has diminished mm-hmm. um, in spite of the fact that he still has... Uh, you know, allies like the the Chinese communists uh, and President Xi is now into his third term, no doubt, and then others, uh, certainly North Korea, Iran, uh, many African countries, uh, a number of countries in the southern Asia uh, arena as well. So uh, the complexities of what we're facing today, based on the national security strategy that came out uh, a week ago, uh, is that we're facing... You know, on one hand, a bipolar world where there's more democratic on one side and more authoritarian, autocratic on the other. And, of course, uh, the primary uh, adversary in this arena is not Russia. It's, of course, uh, President Xi and the Chinese communists. Well, in and, and our many conversations that we've had on this program, both with me and with my father, you have told us that in the past. Because of the oil and the nuclear weapons in Russia, they are certainly something to worry about, and they are certainly a player on the world stage. But uh, the most dangerous threat to the world today is China, and that's the basis, basically, of your new book, Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. Can you tell us a little bit about the thesis of the book, especially against the backdrop of President Xi Jinping kicking off this Communist Party Congress? And if I understand this right, he's going to become basically the leader for life, isn't he? That's right. And, you know, let me begin with the final part of Kings of the East, and that is, you know, is China in biblical prophecy? And I'd argue that it probably is. Uh, and I go into some detail as to uh, which uh, scriptures, whether it's Revelation 9, Revelation 16, mm-hmm. uh, and elsewhere, that there are either direct or indirect references that can be interpreted as um, the end times would involve these kings of the East. And, of course, it comes out of the, the history of 15 dynasties and the contemporary Chinese communist Chinese communists became a reality in 1921 following the the Leninist uh, example uh, out of the Russian Revolution of 1917. Uh, And, of course, uh, by 26, in 1926, they were really engaged in a civil war against uh, the Republic of China, 
which were led by the Kuomintang. And so there was a, a civil war off and on until 37 when the Japanese invaded. And that, at that point, all the Chinese collaborated against the Japanese until they were defeated in 45. And then, of course, the civil war renewed until 49 when the Kuomintang under Chiang Kai-shek fled to Taiwan, where they you know, established a government of their own. And, of course, the communists went to Peking or Beijing, what it became, and established the People's Republic of China. Now, here recently, uh, we have seen the resurgence of Leninism and Marxism as really the dominant ideology for decades. Uh, we didn't see that in uh, communist China. We saw kind of a weakened totalitarian regime giving encouragement to entrepreneurs and to the economy. And so there was a great deal of corruption that ripped through the Communist Party during the 90s and the early 2000s. But the elite of the Communist Party found this obscure leader by the name of Xi Jinping and brought him to the fold. And he's a real ideologue. And here at the present time, we're experiencing the 20th Communist Party Congress, which will, from all appearances, make President Xi very similar in power to that of Mao Zedong, the most hmm. powerful of the past presidents and chairman of the uh, Communist Party. So Xi, as he gets this power, will coalesce around you know, promoting his ideology, which of course is Lenin's Marxism, and that tells us a lot about how he views economic issues, social issues, ideological issues, as well as military issues. And so, you know, there, the speculation at this point is that President Xi, who is 69 years old right now, um, will probably, in wanting to leave his legacy, will accelerate the scenario to retake Taiwan. And so back and forth through history, uh, we have seen the Chinese communists have come to dominate that part of the world. And given our weakened military condition, based upon neglect by the current administration and by the acceleration of the communist Chinese military, which is the largest and could soon be the most powerful in the world, I would say, by the mid part of next decade, uh, and given their economic prowess. These are ingredients that the Adolf Hitler of the World War II era, uh, the Japanese Empire, never had. So this is a serious scenario that we're facing. I, I know this administration under President Biden recognizes that based upon the words they've written in their various strategies, but I'm not sure that the American people quite appreciate how, how serious what we're confronting is. And that's why I wrote Kings of the East. You know, I want Americans to understand a bit of history. Very few of us ever studied Chinese history, uh, much less what's going on today and understand the geopolitics you need that. You really do need to understand why China is an end times player and what we're seeing played out before us may in fact be a precursor to those end times. Well, that's true. Well, the book is Kings of the East, 
China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. It's available at Amazon, at Target, at Walmart, at Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books, you can get this book. I encourage you to read it. It's by Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. Well, Colonel, I know that you're a born-again believer, and I know that you look at these current events in the light of Bible prophecy like we do here, and we know that God has given us his prophetic word. His plan is going to be fulfilled, and he is still in control, isn't he? Well, he is. And, you know, I don't understand necessarily uh, how all the pieces come to mm-hmm. uh, fruition. Uh, I do know at the end of the book, there's total hope for the believer. But time, I think, is reasonably short. And, you know, it's incumbent upon the believers to, you know, tell others about the promises of Christ. And through God's grace and through, you know, believing uh, personally in Jesus Christ, accepting his sacrifice on the cross, that we are supposed to be about his business. And his business is everything that we do in our life has to be accountable to him. And so I would encourage people, don't be distraught. Be wise and go forth and declare the truth. And at the same time, be willing to talk about these issues that are you know, really troubling many Americans and, quite frankly, people across the world. Well, thank you so much for that, Colonel Bob McGinnis, and that is the hope that we have, and that's why we do what we do here at Prophecy Today, and I, and that was just such a great summation of the whole issue here. Well, we appreciate you coming on the program, educating our listeners. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, have a great day, and thank you very much. Rick, you know, over the years, we have been China watchers, and Colonel Bob McGinnis has helped us in that. We've been watching what's taking place, and by doing that, We have a worldview. We actually have a biblical worldview, and we understand why the world is acting as it is. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been looking at uh, world events, Rick, in the light of God's prophetic word. We've been doing that for uh, since we took over the program from our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. You know, Rick, next week, I'm going to be back in Israel. I'll have a group there with me uh, from Dallas, Texas, going there, and I'm looking forward to being back. If people wanted to go with us, how can they find out how to sign up for one of our trips? Well, the best thing to do, of course, is to go to our website at prophecytoday.com. We'll be posting regular updates there. You could join us on a trip to Israel. We've always said Israel is the greatest classroom for studying Bible prophecy, studying Scripture in general. But, of course, we focus on Israel past, present, and prophetic. And uh, that's something that we would love to do with each and every one of you. Yes, we sure would. We'd love to take you. Go to prophecytoday.com. Look through the different menu aspects of uh, how to find different things on our website. You'll find our itinerary there and join with us on one of our trips. Well, today on the Legacy Series, we're going to continue our study on angels this week. We'll see how angels continue to play a key role in the last days as a part of Satan's subtle strategy for the future. We'll begin our study today in the book of Revelation chapter 12. Book of Revelation chapter 12 seems to indicate one third of those angels created went with Lucifer and rebelled against God. 
And so we see that a number. How many angels were created? I have the slightest idea in the world. I do not know. May I suggest a point of discussion? I would suggest 12 billion angels were created. Now, where do you get that from? Uh, Well, the ones who do these statistics say that from the time of creation until the day, there's been 6 billion people that have lived. And we have more than 6 billion people alive today. You put that together, that's at least 12 billion, maybe 13 billion. And each one of them, the Lord wanted to bring to him as their Savior. And each one of them would have had an angel created to them, a ministering spirit. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. All to have guardian angels. Now, please, don't go out of here and say, Jimmy said 12 billion. I don't know what the number is. I can know over in the book of Revelation, it's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels who gather together to sing worthy is the Lamb. Chapter 5, verse 12, verses 11 and 12. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. And so I know that at least 100 million plus thousands and thousands more were created. I don't know the number, but we do know that one third of them fell with Satan at that point in time. And Lucifer, the old serpent himself, was there to bring sin into existence. Let me show you something else about angels before we leave Genesis. Go to chapter 6. Chapter 6. In chapter 6 of the book of Genesis... We see that angels, those who had rebelled with Lucifer, were going to play a very interesting role in bringing down all of humankind. There was a reason for the flood. And it wasn't just because they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. It's because of what was going on here in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis. Look what it says. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. These would be daughters, physical bodies, human beings. Verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair and they took them wives all which they chose. Wow. Sons of God. That's not the sons of Seth. God knows how to put in the word what he wants to be put there. In Job 1, Job 2, Job 38, sons of God are angelic creatures. What this text is telling us at this time in history, at the time of Noah, evil angels had sexual relationship with human women. Look here in verse 3. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be numbered 120 years. That's how long Noah would have to preach to get everybody to get their hearts right. Verse 4. And there were giants in the land, Nephilim, in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Evil angels... 4,500 years ago, committed sexual relationship with human women. There's a reason that God is going to destroy humankind. There are going to be only eight people that God is going to allow to live 
during that more than one year of the flood and go into the next phase of God's plan for humankind. Look here what it says in verse 8 of chapter 6. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Now, wait a minute. Does that word when it says Noah was perfect mean he was without sin? The answer is no. All men have been born in sin. And so the word did not mean perfect as it relates to a sinless Noah. What it meant, he was perfect because he did not have an angelic bloodline. How do I know that? I read the genealogy. Remember when I told you about genealogies? In chapter 5, notice what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, man made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their names Adam in the day when they were created. It starts with Adam, and the genealogy goes all the way down to Noah, verse 32. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. There's not one evil angelic creature mentioned in this genealogy. That was the purpose, the only purpose for the genealogy in chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. To show that Noah was perfect, never had an angelic relationship. None of his daughters had had a uh, relationship. None of the people before him had an angelic relationship. There was activity going on that God said, I'm going to have to wipe out humankind. Why did this happen? Well, remember what happened after the sin in the garden, chapter 3? The Lord told Adam and Eve there was going to be a Messiah who would come. Verse 15, the first prophecy of the Messiah. What had happened was God gave Adam and Eve dominion over everything. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. I give you dominion, but who had the first dominion? Lucifer, the most beautiful of all angels, put in prominence. And because of that... When he saw Adam and Eve given that position of prominence, dominion over all the creation, he rebelled against God. I was in charge. Now you put somebody else. I rise above you. And so what was the first thing he did? What was his subtle strategy? Deception. He went in and deceived Eve. He said, you're not to eat or touch that particular tree. The Lord didn't say you can't touch it. He said not to eat of it. And so he manipulated Eve and Adam and sin came into existence. He's trying to shut down the appearance of that Messiah. But the Lord came and gave him away. There's going to be a Messiah that's going to be born. So what did Satan do? He went back to the strategy room and re-strategized. He said the way I can stop this Messiah from coming is contaminate humankind. Humankind has to come forth from a pure line and bring forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So he said, I'll have sexual relationship. I'll send my demons. He said, hey, wait a minute. A demon can become a man and he can, um, uh, an angel can become a man and he can have a sexual relationship. Well, they can take on the form of men. I can guarantee that. Have you not ever read the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis? Jesus and two angels appear to Abraham and Lot. And in chapter 19, Lot is there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And all of a sudden, two angels in the form of men come walking into town. 
What does Lot say? Come into my house. I'll wash your feet. My wife will prepare you a wonderful meal. He recognized them as men. They were either men or they were two sets of feet with an esophagus, a stomach, and intestine hanging in midair. Because they were going to eat and have their feet washed. Oh, they had hands too. Because they grabbed old Lot by the hand and pulled him in the house. And they had a meal that day. And the Sodomites came to Lot's house. Hey, we want those men that are in there. You say, well, Jesus said angels don't have sex. Now, wait a minute. Jesus said they don't have sex in heaven. The question was, whose husband or which of the husbands is going to be this lady's husband? And the Lord said, in heaven, they'll be as the angels. But you don't use that text to say that humankind, men and women today, can't have a sexual relationship. That's God's plan for reproducing and bringing more people into existence. It's talking about the heavenlies. That's correct in the heavenlies. Angels committed fornication. How do I know that? I read the book of Jude, verses 6 and 7, where it says they were put in prison because of their fornication. What is fornication? Biblically, fornication is any sexual relationship that God says is not right. They did it. Went in history did angels commit fornication. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, they were put in the abyss, in a bottomless pit, to await the time of their judgment. Evil angels committed sexual relationship with human women. That's the reason God destroyed humankind. They have been contaminated with evil angelic bloodlines. I told you angels play a key role in the time of the end. There's going to be a fight in the heavenlies, a battle in the heavenlies. Look what's going to happen in verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. There's dragon as an apocalyptic term. Look at verse 8. And they prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. What happened at the fall of evil angels of Lucifer was that they were cast out of the third heaven, but they were put into the first and second heaven. The three heavens, Paul said, I know a man 14 years ago who went to the third heaven. That means there's three heavens. The first heaven is what we see out here in the sun and the clouds. Second heaven, the stars and the galaxies. Third heaven where God is. And so out of that third heaven, they were cast to the first and second heaven. Now, how do I know that? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of darkness, evil in the heavenlies. And Satan and all the evil angels in the first heaven and the second heaven above us with Satan dispatching them. Finally, God's going to be fed up. By the way, chapter 12 and 10 says there's one evil angel, Satan himself, who goes before the throne of God to accuse the brethren on a daily basis, 24-7. That's why the third heaven is going to have to be burned up. There's no third heaven in the future. You're not going to the third heaven for eternity future. It's going to be burned up because evil angel activity has taken place there. 
And now those evil angels are there and God's going to say, Michael, take the good angels, throw Satan out of here. Look what happens in the heavens. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye in the heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. He's cast on the earth. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast on the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. No time to tell you, but that's talking about the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Satan is going to try to destroy the Jewish people. Look at verse 17. And the dragon, Satan, was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. When Satan and his evil angels are thrown out of heaven at the midway point of the tribulation, these demonic creatures will endeavor to kill all Jews on the earth. Satan knows that if he eliminates all the Jews, that God will not then be able to keep his promises to the Jewish people, and thus God fails, and Satan is the victor. However, I read the last chapter. Satan is the loser. God is the victor. More on that next week as we conclude our study on angels. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Well, we have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up the program and take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Ukrainian President Zelensky says Russian strikes have destroyed 30% of the country's power stations. Over last weekend, the strikes killed at least 62 Ukrainian civilians. Drones from Iran have played a large part in the attacks. Eric Mach with the Slavic Gospel Association says winter might trigger a new wave of refugees. Local churches minister to those suffering and in need. You can support them through SGA's Operation Winter Warmth and learn more at missionnews.org. The FM radio station BE107 in Batam, Indonesia, joined the Transworld Radio Network last summer. TWR's John Fugler says it's already become a listener favorite in Singapore. BE107 reaches a potential audience of 7 million people in three countries. It's a region in Southeast Asia that's hungry for the hope of Christ. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Dodd Morris. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the Shepherd's Field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word, something that we do every week. 
and our understanding of Bible prophecy, how the end times are going to play out. And really, Bible prophecy is used for two reasons, Rick, to motivate us to uh, understand the urgency of the hour and to help us to live a pure and productive holy life in an unholy world. And as we have looked at our uh, broadcast partners today, as we have listened to them, as they have uh, uh, analyzed the stories, what in your mind stands out as key stories from today's program? Well, Jimmy, you can certainly look at the fact that there are major world leaders, Vladimir Putin, for example, uh, Iran, China, Xi Jinping, all these things we talked about today. These people are making decisions that are actually setting the stage uh, for the prophetic scenario that we lay out every week that's going to take place in, in the end times. Yes. You know, uh, I said at the end of the first uh, segment with Ken Timmerman, um, and I I just, uh, it was a quick blurb, uh, an afterthought really, you know, world leaders, world dictators usually use, if there's political unrest in a country, which there is in Iran and Russia and, you know, China has not unrest in China, but yes, it has its issues that it deals with. Sometimes these dictators will use incidents like this and they will invade other countries we see that with russia and ukraine uh, and now we're seeing it with iran and really the overthrow of the government there could this be rick really that next step in ezekiel 38 daniel 11 psalm 83 all coming together well it certainly could and and again we don't necessarily sensationalize and say that's what's taking place we're not necessarily reading the Bible through the headlines, but we're just saying, look at the world events that are taking place around us. The scriptures have said this is what's going to take place in the future, and it certainly seems like the stage is being set. Well, another thing that I thought was very interesting, as we talked to Colonel Bob McGinnis, and he talked about his book, Kings of the East, and how potentially China could be that fulfillment of Bible prophecy, the kings coming out of the East. And one of the things that I thought that he said, and as we looked at it, Jimmy, he said, time is short. I thought that was a super interesting statement, and it's a motivating factor for us, isn't it? It sure is. You know, uh, in the book of First Peter chapter 4, it says, you know, we are living in the end days, and, and we have been. And But I mean, when Peter said that to the first church, that was 2,000 years ago. But I do believe we are, that time is short, Rick. I do believe that world leaders are ramping up to a level that we've never seen before. Revelation chapter 16 does talk about the kings of the East. And when you look at China, when you look at India, when you look at all these nations that will be coming out of the Far East, that's the kings out of the East. They are certainly ramping up. And I think uh, his new book ought to be something interesting. I'm looking forward to getting a copy of it and reading it. Uh, although we do have the scriptures, we know what the scriptures say. We do know that that will take place. Those kings out of the east will come to Israel at the end of that seven-year period of time. Uh, that's uh, one of the last few of the judgments that drying up the mighty Euphrates River coming in uh, that runs through Iraq, that runs through um, really ancient Babylon. When you look at this drying up, this will pave the way for these armies out of the east to descend as the Antichrist draws all the nations of the world to the city of Jerusalem, number one, to wipe out the Jewish people, to defeat God's chosen people. 
that's I mean that's been Satan's program all along. He has tried to wipe out God's chosen people. In fact, the Legacy Series today, uh, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father, Rick, he talked about Satan's subtle strategy in the future and how uh, angels will be used, uh, demonic angels will be used in that subtle strategy uh, by Satan to try to wipe out the Jewish people. We've seen that all throughout history. Uh, We have the advantage of looking back through God's story, his story, history, as to how Satan has tried to do this. And we do know that an intensity will come in the future where the Antichrist, energized by Satan, will draw these nations to come to wipe out the nation of Israel. That nation that you talked about, Rick, that really, as you look at it today, the resurrection of this country back in 1948, it being one of the uh, factors of the Jewish nation, and what will take place in the future with the Jewish people. So I think that uh, those are good analysis, Rick, of what's going to take place and good key points, high points of the program today. Love having Bob McGinnis back with us. But Rick, when I talked about earlier, I talked about, and, and I mentioned Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul mentions about never giving up. That is so important today in today's world as believers, right? We have a role to do. Each and every single one of us have a role to play in God's plan um, for these days in which we're living. That's right, Jimmy. We have a role to play. And Colonel Bob McGinnis, in his summation of his story, as he talked about the kings of the East and China, he said that our role is to bring the gospel to the world. And uh, all that we are talking about here as we look at uh, current events taking place and uh, they're setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be laid out in the future, that should certainly motivate us. Time is short. It should motivate us to reach out, have gospel conversations with our neighbors, with our friends, reach out and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We sure should, Rick. And you know, we are to give glory and honor to God in all that we do. Paul also talked about that in 1 Corinthians. I like what you said, gospel conversations. We've had that conversation in the past, really, where we talk about gospel conversations. Try to bring that into your life every single day and every single way and what you do in your life. And that's really why we do this program on Bible prophecy, so that We can be encouraged. We don't give up. We understand that God has a plan. We understand that he's sovereign. And we understand that as we live this life, it's maybe the next moment that the rapture takes place. That's what we look for. But besides all of that, our life could be taken short and we could be taken home to be with the Lord before the rapture of the church. But I, Rick, as you and I look at it each week, the rapture of the church is so very close. Don't you agree? Oh, I certainly do. And it seems like it could happen at any moment. Folks, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. We hope that this helps you each week to be encouraged that there is a plan. It's playing out in God's word. Until next week, Rick, thanks for doing the hard work on the interviews. And folks, keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.